guidelines have been released about the frequency of conducting pap smears, and this has caused much debate and conversation between healthcare providers. Outside of these conversations, how can a non-gynecologist perform pap smears, and why is it still an important test? This is Reach MD, and I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen. And with me today, it's my pleasure to have Dr. Jocelyn Slaughter, a board-certified OBGYN who is practicing in private practice at Harris Healthcare for Women. Dr. Slaughter is also an attending physician at Clearview Regional Medical Center and Eastside Medical Center in Georgia. Dr. Slaughter, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Okay, Jocelyn, so today we're going to be discussing uh, a guide to pap smears for the non-gynecologist. This can be quite confusing because there's been some recent uh, new changes and guidelines for giving pap smears to women. So let's talk about that. When do you start doing pap smears on women? Well, the guidelines um, that most OBGYNs um, go by and the American College Procession Gynecology are guidelines given by the American Society for Colposcopy and Cervical Pathology, the ASCCP, and they create the guidelines that I follow and most of us do follow. And again, these are guidelines. So the age that we start pap smears, it's recommended to start pap smears, is 21 years old. Um, I just want to just make sure that this, and I'll probably reiterate this, that the pap smear is a screening test. So it's designed if a patient does not have a lesion or have a problem or a visual um, cancer that we are testing a normal cervix um, to see if we can find something before it actually visually appears. So what specifically, Jocelyn, do the guidelines state? So specifically, as far as initiating pap smears, 21 years old is when we should initiate a pap smear. And a pap smear is defined as the psychology of, a, of, the, of the cervix um, with either you can use a broom brush, a cytal brush, and a spatula, but this sample should be getting sent off to a cytologist. Um, this should be repeated on a person if the pap smear is normal, and I'm going to be discussing just normal pap smear testing in every um, three years. It is recommended in patients 21 to 30, or to 29, 21 to 29 years old, you would do a pap smear every three years um, with cervical cytology. Um, That would be the initiation. So, Jocelyn, okay, so age 21, what about our patients that are starting to have sex very early? What do the guidelines state about that, about patients who may start to have sex early in their teens? These patients still should not get cervical cytology pap smears. However, patients that are cervic- that are sexually active should get pelvic exams where you actually visualize the cervix and you can also test for infections like gonorrhea, chlamydia, which are usually the, the morbidities that young women face um, are infections. So just because the organization is saying you should not do a cervical cytology starting at 21 and every three years, an annual exam visualizing the cervix should still be done. So remember, this interview is specifically geared towards, uh, it's a guide for the non-gynecologist as to how how and when and how often to perform pap smears. So what, in your medical opinion, is the reason why 
um, a patient who is having sex very early, um, even in their teens, why you should still delay the pap smear until they are at the age of 21. What is the reason for that, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, is the whole point of us doing pap smears is to try to detect cervical cancer before it turns into cervical cancer, where there are precancerous cells there. In order to do this, we usually have to do biopsies, have to do leaps and procedures to try to remove abnormal cells. What we've realized is that less is more, is that when you do multiple um, excisional biopsies, that the, the majority of the women will never go on to have cervical cancer. So the ASCCP has done a lot of research on trying to minimize those testing because those testing also have their own morbidities with um, biopsies and excisional um, biopsies. They have increased risk of preterm labor, um, infections, um, just morbidity and cost to the healthcare provider and patient. So um, it is known that patients who even have abnormal pap smears at a very young age um, in their teens will likely um, go on to have normal pap smears later. They will clear the HPV virus, which is the um, the culprit of cervical cancer, which is another discussion, but they'll, they're more likely to clear this virus that can go on to cause cervical cancer. Okay. That's a good segue to my next question. Should you do a co-HPV testing along with this pap smear? This is a very, very important topic for providers that um, until I got out of residency, I realized it was very, very important. The guidelines state that between ages 21 and 29 that you should not do HPV testing for a regular screening pap smear. And for most providers, you have to, if you're in your office, your person who's sitting in your lab has to make sure they tell the cytologist that they do not want the HPV testing on there. Um, there are many times where they may ch- check the wrong box and you may get HPV testing on a pap smear um, that was not intended to be. Um, the recommendations do state that you should not do HPV testing for 21 to 29. However, 30 and above, they do recommend doing the HPV co-testing. However, there's another sometimes issue that can come up is that if a patient is paying themselves for their pap smear, they may not want to pay the extra cost if they don't have insurance for the HPV co-testing. So you have to be aware of what your lab does, what the patient um, also will is willing to pay. Because when I was in residency, everybody had some type of insurance. We, didn't, we weren't aware of the cost of patients. But once I got out, I started to realize that in some places, patients do not want this extra test because they do not want the to pay the extra money. So um, it is recommended between for patients over 30, not under 30, uh, but um, you have to talk to your patient to make sure that they're aware of what you're doing too. What's the average cost for this additional testing for HPV testing on average? On average, it can be between 30 and $70. Um, pap smears, um, traditionally, I, I deal with some patients that are so okay, so I'm aware of this um, actual schedule. Um, some patients um, can pay a regular pap smear, um, and they usually um, will include a gonorrhea and chlamydia, um, can run anywhere between 60 to $80. And the HPV co-testing, again, can be between 30 and $60. 
Okay. And for the patients that are th age 30 years and above that um, are indicated to have the HPV co-testing, what if your lab just doesn't have it? What do you do? Well, that's another concern. Some labs don't do HPV testing or they or your lab company may not provide that. And it's not to worry. It's it's still okay. Um, there are, before we did HPV testing, we just did pap smears and we did them more frequently. The ASCCP recommends for patients who are, be, who are between 30 and 65 to get a pap smear with HPV testing every five years. So if you do not have the HPV testing, um, and that's if they're all negative, if you do not have the HPV testing, then you can do your pap smears more frequently, a minimum of three years if you don't have the HPV co-testing for women above 30. However, I also want to add that two things, that just because you're, you're, you're going to do a pap smear every three years, most insurances, if you have insurance, will pay for a pap smear every year. So if a patient desires to have a pap smear every year, you should give that to her. You should tell her that those aren't the recommendations of the ASCCP. However, if a patient desires to have a pap smear every year, you should oblige her. Also, if you are not sure who did her last pap smear or if she even had a pap smear, do not hesitate to give another pap smear, um, even if it's been less than three years. Many women think they've had pap smears in the last two to three years. They may have not have had them or the provider may have not done an adequate pap smear. So always err on the side of doing another pap smear. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to ReachMD, and I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Jocelyn Slaughter-Moore, and we are discussing a guide to pap smears for the non-gynecologist. Dr. Moore, let's just move on a little bit and talk about when you're actually now doing the pap smear for the patient and you've decided that this is the right time to do it, it is indicated. What if you can't see the cervix um, and you cannot visualize the cervix to actually be able to do the swab. What do you do? This is very important, and I know that um, a lot of non-gynecologists have trouble seeing the cervix. And unfortunately, clinicians sometimes do what's called a blind pap smear, which I don't ever recommend. Um, I think if you're not able to visualize the cervix, then the patient should be referred to a gynecologist. Or if the patient is uncomfortable, you can have the patient have some type of a relaxant, um, return back, and try to do the pap smear again. Um, you should never forego visualizing the cervix because these are actual cancer screenings that we're doing. Um, I've had several patients before who referred to me um, with cervical cancer who said they had a pap smear done the year before by someone. And it was clear that they never got a real pap smear that no one saw their cervix because if they did, they would have seen that it was completely abnormal. So um, this is a very important thing that if you cannot do, if, you're not, if you cannot see the cervix, then you should not perform a pap smear. Dr. Slaughter, when can you stop doing pap smears? What do the guidelines say with regards to that? The guidelines are very specific that at 65 years old, if your patient has um, no history of any abnormalities with her pap smear, she may stop um, getting pap smears. However, just because you're, stopped, you're not getting a pap smear anymore, you should still perform a pelvic exam every year. 
Um, but going back, you can stop pap smears at 65 for women who have no issues. Um, for a patient who's had a hysterectomy and they don't have any um, prior abnormal um, cervical cytology of what's called CIN2, which we shall be familiar with or greater, then they can also have their pap smear stopped as soon as their hysterectomy is done. Again, this is a hysterectomy that has removed their cervix, obviously. Um, and if you had a patient who has reached either 65 or hysterectomy and has had the history of cervical cancer or um, cervical CIN2 or greater, then they should be tested for 20 years after that diagnosis. And once they've had testing for 20 years and it's been benign, then you may stop. What are the typical signs and symptoms of a patient who may have um, an abnormal pap smear? For example, um, sometimes we as uh, gynecologists, we would do a pap smear, take a look at the cervix and do the pap smear. We just have a hunch that it's going to come back a certain grade. So could you just give, based on your experience, to the non-gynecologists out there, what are some of the typical signs and symptoms of a patient who may have an abnormal pap smear? A cervix should look um, pretty smooth most of the time. Um, some younger patients will have um, ectopin, um, which basically um, their their cervix um, is the inside is a little bit red, but this is not anything to do with um, abnormality, but that's just normal. But some women may have a very red, friable cervix. When you brush it with the cider brush or the cider broom, it starts to bleed. Um, also, if there's any, those will be patients that will most likely have an abnormal pap smear at some point. Um, if you see an actual lesion or a spot or something that looks ulcerated or a growth, um, you can do a pap smear, but this patient, that lesion should be biopsied. And if you don't have the equipment or the knowledge to do a biopsy, they should be referred to a gynecologist who can do a biopsy. What are the common treatment options when, okay, now you've gotten back the pathology report and it says that it has an abnormal pap smear? What are the treatment options at that point? At that point, um, there can be, again, according to the ASCCP guidelines, you can either, um, there can be close surveillance of the patient with an abnormal pap smear to see if it resolves, or you can do um, a colposcopy where you, um, try to do directed biopsies to see if you can um, see closer if there's any more abnormalities or an excisional procedure. Um, the ASCCP has great guidelines of if you get a pap smear and how old they are and when their last abnormal pap smear was of what to do next. Um, you can always do um, offer a patient a colposcopy with an abnormal pap smear. However, again, with the guidelines, we're trying to do less um, less colposcopies, especially if a patient is younger, to prevent them from having um, excisional um, procedures that they don't need. So for the non-gynecologist who's gotten back an abnormal pathology report um, for pap smear, what should they do? I recommend referral to a gynecologist um, immediately. Um, if you're a non-gynecologist, these guidelines can be extremely tricky. Um, to read, to understand, and it's always better to refer to a gynecologist who can really decide if this patient needs a colposcopy, if they need another pap smear in 12 months, or if they need an excisional procedure. Um, that's what I would recommend, absolutely. 
Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Jocelyn Slaughter-Moore, for joining us today and discussing the very important topic of guidelines for the non-gynecologist with regards to pap smears. Thank you so much, Jocelyn. Thank you, Renee. I am your host, Dr. Renee Allen. To download this podcast and others in this series, please visit reachmd.com. We encourage you to like, share, and comment on this episode. Thank you for listening to ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.